Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Welcome back. We're working our way through the eight qualities that are necessary for building a life that will last. And today, we're looking at that second quality, which is goodness. If you've memorized these nine verses from verses 3 to 11, try going through them in your mind as I read it right now. So starting with verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if these qualities are yours in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, our focus is on that second quality, goodness. Add to your faith goodness. The version I memorized just reads, add to your faith goodness moral excellence. I like one version of the Bible which reads, make every effort to add integrity to your faith. I I like that. In other words, don't stop at believing. Let your faith be more than just words. Let your faith do what it was intended to do, produce goodness, increase integrity, bring us to moral excellence. We know how worthless something is unless we put it into practice. For example, We know that building wealth begins with learning how to save. We know it's important to eat healthy and stay active. We know it's best to take care of vehicles with regular oil changes and tire rotations, etc. We also know that regular checkups by our doctor are important. Even if we don't do those things, we at the very least know that they're right and true. And here's the kicker. We also know that just knowing something isn't at all the same as practicing something, right? Having a strong opinion is not a substitute for action. Building a life that lasts starts with faith, but it doesn't end with faith. Faith is the foundation of everything else. Faith is the root system for all other, uh, other qualities that we read about. As faith increases, so should everything else. When you see goodness, its root system is faith. Faith feeds goodness. A life rooted in faith is a life that will last. It's a process, not a one-time event. All growth is a process that takes time. Give it time. Nothing grows instantly. That's why we have to make every effort to add to our faith. Add to your faith goodness. The first outgrowth from faith 
is goodness, Peter says. There's an unfolding of faith. Out of faith grows goodness. Out of faith grows integrity. Out of faith grows moral excellence. How is that possible? How is it possible to go from where you are to where you need to be. Paul gives us some great advice in Philippians. He says that we must control our thoughts and actions. In fact, thoughts lead to action. And this is what he wrote. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, to be effective and productive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have to add to your faith goodness. You ask yourself, is it true, noble, or right? Is it pure, lovely, admirable? You can go through the list. Is it excellent or praiseworthy? If so, then think about such things, and then you put it into practice. There's no excuse for believers not to live a godly life. Why? Because we have received everything necessary to live that way. It's possible that some people aren't living with moral excellence due to ignorance. I mean, they literally just don't know better. They're ignorant of God's word, of truth. But for those who know better, it's time to live better. Embrace the virtues of courage, nobleness, and moral valor. Be fearless about living well. Rather than talk about it, be about it. Let your life show what you believe. And having said that, what seems to be all around us is what I call immoral valor. And what I'm referring to are people who know better, who claim to be Christ followers, yet boldly and publicly live in a way that dishonors God. Rather than glorify God with their life, they say that they feel good about how they're living. Even though they know truth, they refuse to live by truth. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 and verse 26, you guys know this, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, they're like a wise man who built his house on the rock, verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, He's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So how are you living? How would you describe yourself? Are you wise? Are you foolish? This isn't complicated, y'all. This is simple, but not easy. I said this last week. He's the boss. We're on call. Whatever he says to do, we just, we do. Wherever he says to go, we go. The result is that we will have a life that lasts, a life that endures, and don't we need that? It's so easy to stop at faith, to say, I believe in Jesus without living for Jesus. Isn't it easy to fall into a lifestyle where you are living for God, but in a way where you don't need God? Luke asked the penetrating question. You may be familiar with this. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet don't do what I say? That's Luke 6, 46. Yeah, that's a good question. It's a searching question. Honestly, morality is not something that many in Peter's original audience were excelling at. See, even though they had come to faith in Jesus, they had gone back to living a self-indulgent lifestyle. Why? Well, they had been convinced by a group of false teachers that doing what feels good 
was the definition of a gloriously free life. To those people of faith who had been convinced to live for their desires, Peter informed them that what is billed as freedom is not really freedom at all. And I want you to jump over and listen to his words in 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll do verse 18 and 19. And this is so, so interesting. He says, For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. It's the same message still being promoted today. Here's what it's dressed like. You know what? As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, do what makes you happy and feels good. You're free to be you. You do you. That's what the message we're being, to- we're being sold 24-7. It's not usually said that directly, but it plays like white noise in the images we see on Instagram, the story, the storylines of popular TV shows and movies, the thesis of best-selling books and the lyrics of our favorite music. Like white noise, it has lulled far too many of us to sleep. We read these words in 2 Peter chapter 2. We continue reading verse 20. He writes, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Those words are like a blaring alarm clock that should wake up anyone who has been put to sleep by white noise of culture, that we can be a follower of Jesus while continuing to participate in what God defines as evil or sinful or or wrong. Bottom line is this, you can live however you choose. God has created us in a way so that we get to choose. That may make you very happy. I know I like the ability to choose and to learn from my choices. But I need to warn you that while God has given each of us the ability to choose, he has not also given us the ability to control the consequences of those choices. This is very important. Listen carefully. God has inexorably linked consequences to choices. We get to make whatever choice we like, but we do not get to choose the consequence of that choice. There's a tension to be managed. On the one hand, faith without deeds is worthless. James wrote in James chapter 2, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. You show me your faith without deeds, and I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. But even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, on the other hand, deeds without faith is also useless for building a life that lasts. In theory, you could donate money. In fact, give all you possess to the poor. Do good deeds. Have faith to move mountains. Give your body over to hardship so that you can boast about it. But you can do all of that and gain nothing. So what does it look like to go all out in adding goodness to one's faith? A person who is serious about excelling morally and regularly examines their life. A proper examination begins with an invitation for God to reveal what we need to see about ourselves. David, the man after God's own heart, 
models this for us in Psalm 139. I want to read starting with verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, there are several different means that God uses to answer that prayer. And one is through Scripture. James tells us that Scripture is like a mirror in James 1.22. He says, be doers of the word, not listeners only, deceiving yourself. In Christ's day, the religious leaders taught about God, his laws. They taught about his, his, all of his ways, but they failed to live by the basic tenet of loving God. They didn't love God with all of their heart, and they didn't love their neighbors as themselves. They were satisfied, in fact, that they were, they were so satisfied that they were proud of their words without actions. They deceived themselves, believing that words were enough. To fulfill the commitment, we know we need all the help that we can get. So we listen intently, take notes, we talk to friends about specific applications of Scripture, and we make plans to make a difference. That's how we become doers of the Word and not hearers only. God uses scripture as well, but he also uses people. God sends certain people at certain times to encourage us to continue doing what is right. But he also sends people to help us see where we may need to stop doing what's wrong. Would you agree with that? For, for example, he used Nathan to help David face his sin of adultery and murder. He used Paul to help Peter face his prejudiced behavior. He used Elizabeth to help Mary see her unique role in history. See, he continues to use people today to help us excel in adding to our faith goodness. Now, does that mean that I have to accept the counsel of every person who may express a concern about me or my behavior? No. Some people simply want to project their stuff onto you, and others don't have a clear picture of your particular situation. And sadly, a few may be out to hurt or manipulate you. You have to be discerning in who you listen to. But the people who have proven over time to have your best interests at heart, well, should be given the benefit of the doubt. I think you would agree. And I would argue the more you feel the need to push back against those individuals, the greater the likelihood that they're hitting on an area that you may need to pay attention to and you may want to address or are afraid to address but need to address to live a life of moral excellence. So, God uses other people. God also uses our own effort. Remember that if I say that I believe, yet I lack an execution, that's to believe a lie. That believing is enough. That's the lie. I'll say it again. Start with faith, but don't stop with faith. Belief without action is worthless. Genuine faith always leads to action. When someone believes something, they won't have to tell you because you're going to be able to see it. In fact, Peter said that anybody who doesn't make every effort to add goodness to their faith is blind, nearsighted, and forgetful. It's not that you can't know the stuff. It's that you ignore it and you tell yourself that you're fine. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in James... Let's look at chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And let's jump over to verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. See, those that lack in execution have bought the lie. They tell themselves that God hasn't built them to bear fruit, that having faith is enough for everything else. Well, there's grace. I want you to think about it. When God reveals through Scripture other people or your own personal work, a sin issue, take radical action. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jump over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus clearly is using hyperbole here to make his point. So don't run out there and chop any body parts off. But to excel morally, one is going to have to make some difficult and painful decisions sometimes. It may be the decision to end a relationship, leave a lucrative job, avoid certain places, give up social media, flush some substance. I think about my friend who called and got got a call over the Christmas holidays a few years back. He said, his friend said to him, hey, I'm flying home in a few days and I need you to pick me up at the airport and then I need you to come to my house and help me clear out all of my weed stuff. I'm addicted and don't believe I can do it on my own. My friend admitted that he was a little nervous that night as he drove away from his, his friend's house with a couple hefty bags full of drug paraphernalia in the back of his Jeep. But he said he was, he was also proud of his friend for taking radical action. He was also very thankful that he didn't get pulled over <laughs> before he was able to dump that stuff. Now, of course, the most radical action that you can take is finding moral valor to move beyond changing your behaviors to address the deep wounds and disappointments experienced in life. Why is this so important? Well, let me give you an example. You might end a destructive habit, but to emotionally, to be emotionally healthy, you'll need to address the part of you that you were trying to soothe through that particular activity. This type of deep soul work usually requires the help of a person who is mature spiritually or, in most cases, a trained counselor who hopefully is spiritually minded as well. Now listen, if you think you might be ready to go all out to get help with some hurt in your life, but you aren't sure what to do next, please reach out to the leader of your group. And if they don't know which way to look for you to get some help, they're going to reach out to the leaders of the C3 network and uh, we'll help them figure out what your next step is. Listen, to truly excel morally, we have to become whole. This is not easy to do, but it is possible, not because we're smart or counselors or, or, or because counselors are good, but because we have been given everything that we need to become whole, to become godly. We have the power and the promises 
of God. Now, each week, I'm encouraging you in this way. To grow spiritually, simply follow this process each day. Give yourself permission to practice these qualities one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Live one day at a time. You know what Jesus taught? He said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think you'll say amen and agree to that. I'm praying that God will cause these qualities to grow in your life a little bit each day. You have the freedom to live this way because you're forgiven. Remember that you're not trying to earn his forgiveness. We're not working at making God love us more. That's, that's not possible. So start with faith, but don't stop with faith. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness because you want to be effective and productive. So each day this week, pray this simple but powerful prayer. Just say this, today I will make every effort to add to my faith because I am fully forgiven and deeply loved by God. Today, I will practice moral excellence. I will put into practice what I know. Let me pray that for you. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for the simplicity of what Peter wrote. But thank you, Father, for the power of it. I don't know everything that, uh, every struggle that those who are listening have I don't know what it means to them to put into practice right where they live in the context of their life. But here's what I know. I know that you have given your people everywhere what they need to add to their faith, goodness. My prayer, Father, is simply that you will help us to live what we know to be true. And we pray, Father, that you will be glorified through that and that lives will be changed. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.